0: Good morning, Impact Life Church family. We're so glad that you came to join us again for our online service. We're thrilled and honored that you came to tune in with us this morning to hear what God is going to be speaking to you. And uh, we just wanted to let you know, if you live in the Red Deer area, and if you're looking for a church, for a home church, we want to encourage you, come check us out. We are, not only are we online, obviously what you're seeing, but we are also live as well every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for the summer. And uh, we'd love to have you. Come join us, be a part. Uh, Tickets are available at impactlife.ca. And we'd love to have you join us live. It's, it's a powerful time to get together and just worship our God. And uh, so if, you, if you're here and we're so glad that you came, well, let's just open up in word and prayer and let's begin. Father God, we love you this morning. Thank you so much. Holy Spirit, that you rule and you reign strong on the inside of us. Father, I thank you for every home, every living room, every kitchen that we are tuned into this morning. Lord, I speak blessing in their home. I thank you, Father, that you came to give us life and life more abundantly. So we pray that we speak that over every life, over every home. In Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, we come this morning to you humbly. We thank you that your word is alive. Your word is powerful. It's active. Lord, you said in your word that you're watching over your word. To perform it in our lives. So we give you the praise for that. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, let's get started uh, into this this morning. And you know what? We've been kind of going the last couple of weeks. I've been talking about living a life of honor. And you know what? To be real honest, the more that I study this, the more that I get into this on my, even my personal self, the more i'm starting to see man the ways of god and how he operates and uh, you know i believe this with all my heart especially the times that we're living in and as we continue to move forward and you know not only on the calendar but we'll just move forward in these in these last days it's vital for us as believers as christians that we walk with god and when i say walk with god what do i mean by that i literally mean that we are understanding of his ways you know this in psalm 103 verse 7 It says this, that he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. And I love this verse of scripture simply because, I mean, right here you can see just a contrast, two different scenarios going on here. Number one is that God, he made his ways known to Moses and to the children of Israel, they saw his deeds. So, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Israel being held captive and, you know, in in, uh, under slavery for over 400 years to Egypt And Moses came powerfully to deliver the people. And what did all the nation of Israel see, along with all the Egyptians? They saw the plagues, right? They saw God's miraculous hand come down and deliver the people. Well, that's powerful. That's wonderful. That's exciting. But on the other hand, Moses now, not only did he see the results of what God could do, he also, he more intently, he knew intimately the ways of God. He knew why God did what he did. And I don't know about you, but for me, I want to be on the side of Moses, not just on the side of the children of Israel. I don't want to just know the acts of God, what he can do. I want to know why he does what he does. I want to be understanding of his ways. That's the desire of my heart. That's the passion of my life is not just to serve God for what I can get out of it, but I want to serve God because who he is. And I believe that's who we are as a church family is that we are here, not because we can you know, get stuff from God. We are here because we want him. You know, the psalmist said this in Psalm 27, verse 8. He said, Lord, when you said to me, seek my face, my inner being responded, I'm seeking your face with all my heart. And I know we've touched on that, but I want that to just come back into your thinking again. Why do we serve God? Why do you serve God? Right. Is it because you can get stuff out of him or do you serve God because you get him? And ultimately that's the end prize is we get him. We get an intimate relationship with our God, with our King, with Jesus Christ himself. And there is nothing better. In fact, that's why he came to this earth. He hated the distance that sin brought between us. And so he sent Jesus to abolish that distance. And you can see that really in the epistles of Paul, that right, what happened, what Jesus came to do is he came to destroy that distance that was between God and us. And through Jesus Christ, now he has brought us together as one. And that is what the the whole gospel is all about. No longer are we strangers, no longer are we exiles, no longer are we distant from God, but now Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And that's who our God is. He came down from heaven to be with us, not only just to be with us, but now he lives on the inside of us. This is how intimate our God wants to be with you and I. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through this life and not experiencing all that Jesus bought and paid for with his blood that I could possess now, which is a close, intimate relationship with Jesus. And that's what my desire—that's the—that's the the longing of my heart—is that I walk with God, that I'm understanding His ways, that I know Him intimately, and experiencing Him day in, day out. I mean, it's not just the big things in life, but the small, little details in my life. God is interested in, and that's what I want in my life—is a close relationship with Him. And I believe that's the same thing with you. Now. What we've been talking about over the course of this time, again, is just about the life of honor. And the reason we're talking about honor is because that is the way of God. God is a God of honor. And, you know, a lot of times what we find here, especially, you know, in Christian circles, you find a lot of people, you know, praying and asking God for this. I need, Lord, if this is what I want to do and I'm asking that you just bless my plans, Lord, you just bless my life. You take care of me and you do this for me, God. I'm just asking you to get on my side. Well, you know what? If you understand the ways of God and really start operating in how he operates, the blessings are already there. You know what? Did you hear me on that? A lot of times, again, what I'm saying is a lot of times we're going to go this way and we're asking God to put his blessing on that. And God, he will bless you as much as he possibly can. But his way is already blessed. So what we're learning here as believers, as Christians, as his children, is we're understanding and learning the ways of God. Why? Because in his ways, the blessing is already attached, right? The joy, the peace, the good life that God has already planned. It's already been laid out for you and I, so we need to understand his ways. And that's really what we're doing because again, we're not, God's not going to jump on our boat with a bunch of holes in it and we're sinking. We got to learn to get over onto his boat and understand his ways. And how do I do that? And that's what we call the great exchange. And it's exchange from my thoughts for his thoughts, my, my ways of doing things for his way of doing things. And when I start operating and thinking like God, guess what? I get godly results. You know, it was never God's idea or never God's will for you and I just to live from miracle to miracle. Now, thank God for miracles. I believe in miracles 100%. Absolutely. Our God is the God of the supernatural, 100%. But our our God, his desire for you and I is that we live in fullness of life day in and day out, not just from miracle to miracle. Well, how can I experience that? Again, it's understanding his ways. When I do life the way that he intended life to be lived, The blessing is already there, right? And that's what we're looking for, and that's why we're discussing honor, because again, honor is His way. Honor is the way of God. So let's let's just jump into this a little bit here, and uh, we'll we'll go from there. And you know what we're seeing in, in today's culture, it's totally contrary to the ways of God. And so I believe this is what we're here for as a church, Impact Life Church. We're here, of course, yes, to Impact Generations for Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, one of the ways is that we actually start operating and living in the ways of God. And that's what we're focusing on. This is who we are. We are people of God. We are Jesus people. And so we're going to get with God and we're going to do things his way. And again, because we want to be an example. We want want God to be able to operate in us, through us powerfully. And this is the desire of our heart right? So let's talk about this. God is a God of honor. Now, why is he a God of honor? Well, everything he does, Psalm 111 verse three says, his work is honorable and glorious and his righteousness endures forever. This is how God is. This is what makes heaven, heaven is that it's a place of honor. It's a place of respect, right? And this is, this is big in today's culture when it almost, we've kicked out respect. We've lost respect. We've lost honor. We've dishonored and we think it's okay in doing so. And so this is why we want to talk about it and just bring it up again into the in the forefront of our thinking so that we understand it. Now, before I jump into this, let's just go to 2 John chapter uh, 1, verse 8. And in 2 John, it says this. I hope you got your Bibles with you. I encourage you to look it up in your Bible and because you need to see it with your own eyes. It's, it's important that you see it. The Apostle John, he says this, watch out. That you do not lose what you have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. I already too from the Passion Bible as well. It says, "Be on your guard so that you do not lose all that you have diligently worked for, but make sure you receive a full reward." Come on, say it with me, full reward. Anybody like rewards? I know I do. I enjoy a good full reward. Right. I'm sure you do that, and if you're a parent, I'm sure you've offered rewards to your kids the same way that I do, right? Kids, if you do this, this, and this, guess what? There's rewards attached to that, right? And we, we share that we do that, and that's a good thing, right? It creates incentive, and you need incentive, right? And there's nothing wrong with being reward-minded. In fact, you know, again, as I believe I mentioned that last week, is that David, before he fought Goliath, over and over, he asked the same question. Uh, what does the person get who kills the the giant? And they would say, well, you're tax-free and you get the king's daughter, right? And so he kept asking it, why? Because he wants to hear what the reward is again for whoever defeated the giant, right? There's nothing wrong with doing that. So not only did David kill Goliath because, I mean, he was obviously, you know, making fun of God and making fun of the children of Israel. He made a stand for that. But at the same time, he was also conscious of the fact that he was going to be tax-free and he was going to get the king's daughter. There is nothing wrong with that incentive, and in fact, it's good that we have that mindset as well, because also in that here, God is a rewarder that we see in 2 John chapter 1, verse 8, that you get a full reward. Well, who's rewarding you and I? It's God. God is the ultimate rewarder. Now, again, let's look at this here. If you can have a full reward, that means you can also have a partial reward or you can have a no reward. And I know last week we went very into detail about the no reward situation. We went into the partial reward situation and then the full reward situation. And man, those, those for me were eye-opening as I continue reading it out throughout this week again. Is that because people have withheld honor from Jesus... Jesus, it doesn't say he wouldn't do any mighty work. It says he couldn't do mighty work. That means he was restrained from doing all the amazing things that he was capable of doing. He was commissioned by God to go and heal all who were oppressed of the devil. That was his mission. That's what he went out to do. But in fact, when he came to his own hometown, right, we went over this last week in Mark chapter 6. The Bible didn't say that Jesus wouldn't do any mighty works. It says that they couldn't, he couldn't do any mighty works. And why is that? It's because they withheld honor from him. They treated him as common. They treated him without honor, and therefore Jesus was restrained. And that word restrained again means he was put inside a box. He was limited. He was held back from doing what he could put to possibly be doing. So his hometown only received a partial reward. Then again, we went into the, the no reward situation. I won't go that for time's sake, but then also for the full reward. And we saw the Roman centurion. And how did he get a full reward? It's first of all, because he said that, hey, man, like Jesus, or he had a son or a, um, sorry, a servant that needed a, a healing. He was paralyzed and he was in tremendous pain. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And then the, the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. So right there in that one phrase, in that one sentence, we see that this this centurion gave honor to Jesus. And then secondly, how come he got the full reward? Yes, he gave honor, but then he also understood authority. And and the, this centurion recognized God's authority on Jesus and all this, the same authority that Jesus had in the spiritual realm, this centurion operated in the military realm. So he was very well aware of how authority operated. And it's so important for us that we understand authority in the kingdom that we're a part of. This is how the kingdom operates. And so before I jump into that, oh, again, I want to reiterate spiritual law. What is the spiritual law of honor? And it's this in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30. It says this, those who honor me, this is God speaking, those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now, those that honor God, what will happen? They will be honored. Now, everyone who honored Jesus, as we just read, especially as you read it in the Gospels and you see it in the Gospels, everyone who honored Jesus, they received from God in proportion to the honor that they had given. I'm going to say that one more time. Everyone who honored Jesus received from God in proportion to the honor that they had given. Man, that is big. (laughs) <laughs> that's a big deal for you and I. So if we are withholding honor from the Lord and how he delegates authority, if we're withholding it, guess what, we are going to receive in proportion to the way that we are showing honor to him. Because again, this is a spiritual law. So what is honor? I want to just reiterate, honor simply means to value, to see as weighty as, and as precious. Honor, you know, it also says this, that honor actually carries the meaning of respect and even reverence. Now, before I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'll tie into that in a sec. The last part of second or first Samuel chapter two and verse 30, God says, those who despise me will be disdained. That's in the NIV Bible. Those who despise me will be disdained. And that word disdained, if you look it up in our English dictionary, it means the feeling that someone is unworthy of one's consideration or respect. So now let me just put, let me fill in the blanks here for you for a sec. Those who despise God will be disdained meaning that, that God considers those who dishonor him as beneath his notice this would imply a disregard for their needs and for their prayers now again that's not to be harsh that's not to be mean that's just fact if you are choosing to dishonor God to disdain him the result is you will be disdained you will be overlooked that you will simply be beneath his notice right and God's not able to see you so what we're doing is we have got to understand the honor principle. We've got to understand the, uh, the spiritual law concerning honor, that when you honor God, he will honor you. Now, I want that to get that into your thinking as we go into today because we're going to talk about authority and uh, even talk about mean authority or harsh authority. And it's vital that we understand, again, this, the spiritual law. Again, I want you to say this with me, spiritual law. What is the spiritual law regarding Honor. The spiritual law says that if you honor God, he will honor you. Now, again, this is not just an idea that God had. This is law, spiritual law, the same way that we got natural laws out here that we're operating in. Well, there is spiritual laws that govern the spiritual world. And this is a spiritual law regarding honor, that if you honor God, he will honor you. And if you will despise him, he will disdain you. So this is law. You can't change that law. You can't pray this away. You can't wish this away. You can't just ignore it. It's law. It's fact. It's there. Now you got to do something with it, right? You got to make up your mind. What are you going to do? Are you going to honor him or are you going to disdain him? That question, that answer is totally up to you. Now, let's talk about authority here for a moment. It is important to understand the value of authority Because once it is established in my heart, I can sincerely and effectively honor those above me. And again, what's the purpose that we're talking about? This is because according to 2 John verse 8, that you receive your full reward. So again, I want you in your mind, I want you to be thinking, okay, reward, reward, reward. God wants me to have a reward. There's a reward waiting for me, not only in heaven, but there's a reward for me to receive on this earth. Reward, 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 reward. So when you hear authority, a lot of times people kind of go, ugh, right? It kind of gives you that cringy feeling. Oh, there's so much bad stuff out there. Yeah, but there's also a lot of good stuff there too. So we got to understand authority and this is what we're going to talk about. And again, I want to just reiterate this word honor and what does it mean by simply saying when I honor authority, honor again, to see value, to see as weighty and to see as precious. And as I even said earlier, honor carries the meaning of respect and even reverence. Now the Webster's definition of honor says to revere, to respect and to treat with reverence and submission. Okay, now again, those are words that aren't popular in today's culture. Hearing the word reverence and submission, <laughs> I don't do that. Well, when you learn it, when you understand the value of authority and what God's trying to do, again, reward, 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 it's going to get you a different thought, okay? Now, so from this definition that we just read in Webster's, we see submission to authority is an aspect of true honor. To say, I honor authority, yet refrain from submission and obedience is uh, to it is to deceive ourselves. To honor authority is to submit to authority. Let's say that together. To honor authority is to submit to authority. Come on, you didn't say it. <laughs> to honor authority is to submit to authority. And the prime example is the gentleman that we read about last week in Matthew chapter eight, the Roman centurion. He received a full reward because he honored Not only he saw authority on Jesus, he honored it and he submitted to that authority and the result is he got his full reward. So you're going to have to determine what's more important to you, a full reward or what you feel or what you think or how you were brought up. You've got to get your mindset. This is what I'm, I'm going after my full reward. I'm reward conscious. I want you to be reward conscious that God's got rewards, yes, in heaven for you, but also on this earth. This is who we are. Now, Let's talk about this. Let's go to Romans chapter 13. You're probably wondering, I was ready to turn there. Well, good. Let's turn there and let's talk about Romans chapter 13. It's good that we actually bring some of these things up and just talk about it. Because again, you see a lot of it happening um, in the media. People are talking about there's a lot of dishonor that this world is just shouting out. It's polluting and it's throwing out there constantly, right? To dishonor somebody, you actually get applauded for in our culture now. And what I want to do is I want to go back to what does the Bible have to say about it? And we got to go with what the word says. Remember, this is, you know, a question that we had answered a long time ago. When any kind of question or things come up in my life, the first thing that I need to ask myself is, what does the Bible say about this? And again, you know, this is something that just really came up in me last week at our live service last week, Sunday. It's just this string. I mean, you know, over the past couple of weeks, I've been really training my sons to really hear my voice. And the purpose is when I I want them to understand and make my voice be so loud in their ears. I don't mean that I'm yelling at them, but I want to get it so deeply on the inside of them that when they get into trouble or when a a situation comes up, they hear dad's voice. And our father is no different. You know, it says in Proverbs chapter one, that wisdom, it cries out in the streets. It shouts out in the streets. Hey, simple ones, how long do you want to stay simple? Don't go that way. Stop acting like that. Wisdom is constantly speaking. And again, especially in this day and this age, it says wisdom is shouting out in the crossroads. What are the crossroads? It's a decision. It's a place where you got to make decisions. The world is screaming dishonor. The world is chanting dishonor. They're applauding dishonor. They're celebrating dishonor. Yet what does wisdom say? You know, the Proverbs, I can't remember the address, but it also says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. So it looks right to dishonor. It absolutely looks right. And, it's, and you can even celebrate and even bring it to a court today and probably win the case. But the bottom line is we have to go with what the word says. We got to stick with what the Bible says. So let's talk about this, the four divisions of authority. Now, Romans chapter 13, let's look at this verse one and two in the New Living Bible. It says, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. So I want you to notice two things. Number one, first is this. This is not a suggestion. This is not advice. This is a command. Everybody say it with me. This is a command. What's the command? Everyone must submit to governing authorities. Now, secondly, notice that word everyone. This means that there are no exceptions. All who call on the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior must adhere to this charge. Right? Okay, glad we're good. Now, who are these governing authorities that we are just reading about in Romans chapter 13? Well, in context of Romans 13, it's referring to civil and governmental authorities. However, these words also apply to all delegated authority. So now let's, I want to bring out in the New Testament, it talks about four divisions of delegated authority. Number one, what we just read is civil authority, which includes governmental authority, right? Number two now is church authority. Number three is family authority. And number four is social authority, which includes bosses, teachers, coaches, et cetera, along those lines. Now, that's what we're going to talk about in in time coming up as the Lord leads us. But, um, you know, Jesus made this statement. I want to just read this to you in Matthew chapter 10, 41 through 42. It says, if you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. Again, reward. (laughs) And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. I want to just stop there for a sec. Do you see what Jesus is interested in you getting? Rewards. So every time you think about authority, you think about submission, you hear all these kind of words that the world cringes at. I want you to get excited about because what's attached to it? Reward. Say it with me. Reward. So while the world, they hear submission, authority, they go, I don't want to do any of that. When I hear it, I'm training myself to go reward time. He set me up for reward. He's trying to hook me up. He's trying to get something to me. I want that to be in your thought process, not just this, ugh. Now, when reading these things right here, again, in context, this is to do with church authority, but again, this actually goes into a broader context where we could actually say that there are three types of people that you and I are going to encounter every day of our lives, and that's this, that you have people that are above you, right? You're going to have that. People are always going to be above you. There's going to be people that are on your level or your peers, and there's also going to be those that are entrusted to your authority, those are the three relationships that you have and you and I have to get used to, right? We got to understand who they are. So let's quickly go into this. Number one, civil authority. I'm not going to give a whole lot of detail to this. I'm just, I'm just laying it out. Civil authority. Who are these people? Romans 13, look, scroll down in verse six and seven. It says, if you pay your taxes, uh, you know what? I don't want to talk about this. So let's, um, Javen, just X out that part. You can uh, start up again after I just finished talking about the three types of people who come in contact with. And then um, I'll go from there. Okay. Now, I want to remind you this morning that we are in a kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. Kingdom. We are in a kingdom kingdom. Remember, it says in Colossians 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 13, that you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you've been placed into the kingdom of God's dear son. Now, this kingdom has rank. This kingdom has order. This kingdom has delegated authority. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. Say that with me. Not a democracy. You do not get to vote in this kingdom. When you get to heaven... You're not going to take a vote every four years or every two years or every year and just say, you know what, I, I'm not sure if I want Jesus to be king anymore. I don't know if I, know if I like his policies. That is absolutely gone. <laughs> this is not a democracy. This is a kingship, right? And this is how we have a king. His name is Jesus. And so here, one thing that we've got to understand, especially living in Western culture in North America, that it is very difficult to relate to God with a democratic mindset, Why? Because God doesn't operate in democracy. That's not who he is. He is a king and the king has his ways. So again, I want to just make sure we understand that. And again, in this kingdom, he has rank, he's got order, and he's got delegated authority. Just like you've maybe seen in movies, right? Those that you see, maybe some of those old kind of movies where they got kings. Well, in those kings, there's delegated authority all the way down. This is how our God operates, right? He operates this way. So a person, I want you to notice this, a person who truly knows and loves God is a person who recognizes God's authority because to know God is to know authority. God and his authority are inseparable. And this is a big deal because if you don't recognize and understand authority, you you need to look at your own self. If you have a hard time with authority, you need to check, you make sure that your salvation is intact. This is a big deal because the Bible says you will know people by their fruits. And if we are not doing what Jesus told us to do according to, you know, delegated authority, you may be missing it in some areas in your life. So make sure that when you hear the word authority, you don't cringe that you start going, yes, sir, there's authority, there's rank, there's order. I'm in. Because again, as we read in Romans chapter 13, let's look at that again. I want to show it to you. It says, everyone, verse one, must submit to governing authorities For all authority comes from God. Say that with me. All authority comes from God. All legitimate authority in the universe came from the very throne room of God. Right? Every one of us is subject to governing authority. Why? Because there is no authority except from God. I want you to notice the next part in Romans chapter 13 verse 1. It says those right here. For all in authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Now, notice the Bible doesn't say authorities are elected or selected by people. What does it say? God placed them. He places them, meaning he assigns, he ordains, and he sets them in. Now, since God places or he establishes or sets them in, if we dishonor or refuse to submit to them, we refuse the authority behind them who is God. When we oppose God's delegate authority, we oppose God himself. And we see that Romans chapter 13 verse 2 says, so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. So I want to actually just take this morning to talk about ungodly authority. Does God, I'm going to ask this question, does God appoint wicked authority? And are we supposed to submit to it? Right, and we'll probably take a couple weeks to go over this and talk about this, because I want to be very thorough. And I want to just start off with this statement here, is that all authority is of God, but not all authority is godly. God is not the one who makes people cruel. God is not in charge of cruel people. But all authority comes from him. Cruelness comes from mankind, right? So it has nothing to do with God. And we got to get that in our thinking. You no, know, today we see there's is, there is many, many, many ungodly leaders from the government side, from parenting, from, from the family unit, from the civil authorities, Right from church authorities. There is a lot of ungodly leadership that's in place. Yet, God still tells us that we are to submit ourselves to all authority. Now, before I, you know, we, we, I don't know if we'll get into that today. We may be next week. But I wanna just show you a few things again that God places men and women. He puts people in place. It's not just people, it's the authority. It's the position. Now, I wanna show you this. In the Bible, we see many ungodly leaders. Example, Pharaoh. Now, who was Pharaoh? Well, he's the one that slaved God's people for over 400 years, right? He mistreated them. He was a harsh, harsh dictator, Pharaoh. He enslaved them. uh, He suppressed them. And he even killed all their babies, right? Remember that? Pharaoh took all all the little baby boys, two and under, wiped them out, ungodly. Yet in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16, In the NIV, it says, I have raised you up. This is God speaking. I have raised you up for this very purpose. And in Romans 9, 17, uh, the apostle Paul actually confirms this, what God said. I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So from this, we see God clearly set up Pharaoh in his position of power. Where did Pharaoh get his authority? He got it from God. Now, did Pharaoh misuse it? Yes, but was that God's will? No, that's not his plan. Yet the role, the place that he had was set up by God. Secondly, now, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, you read in the Bible, he destroyed Judah, the temple, and most of all of God's people's homes was destroyed, was wrecked. Now during his reign, I mean God came down, visited him and told him, like maybe he, he turned crazy, he went into, turn into a wild man where he lived in the field with the ox for a numerous, numerous time. and as he was out there, the dew would come on his back, you know he grew hair like feathers off of a bird, and he had claws like eagles like he was just a madman. yet notice what God says about him in Jeremiah chapter 43 verse 10. God says, "I will send and bring Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, Notice these next two words, my servant, and will establish or set his throne again. What is God calling these men that we serve Pharaoh? He said, I set Pharaoh up for this. He said about King Nebuchadnezzar, he's my servant? What's he talking about? Is the cruelness from God not at all? God forbid, no way. A thousand times no, God is a good God. So what does he do? He has authority. He's got rank. He sets that all up. It's men that choose to go go crazy. So God set up not only Pharaoh, but he also set up King Nebuchadnezzar. Next, I want to just show you, and I want to take some time reading this, is King Saul. Remember, the first, the first king of Israel. Saul was the first king that you know, God had appointed. Anybody ever heard that statement before? Maybe you did you know, growing up or different people mentioned it, that Saul was man's choice. David was God's choice. And I actually want to show you that that is totally untrue. There's nowhere in the scripture for that. Saul was God's choice. And I'm going to just show you this after when Saul, you know, um, didn't do what God asked him to do with the Amalekites. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 11, this is God speaking. He said, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king for he has turned back from following me. Look, what, look what, did you see what God said? I have set up Saul as king. Who set him up? God set him up. I have set him up as king. And this ties again with perfectly with Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It says the authorities that exist are appointed or placed as God set them. This is what he, this is what he did. Now, what I want to do is actually, so you, you, hear this, you see that God sets these leaders. He sets authority in place. But now I want to just show you this from another perspective. I want you to look at this now, David. David was called a man after God's heart. And God, after after God had rejected Saul because he chose not to go his way, what did God do? God set up and had established David to be the next king. But I want you to see a little bit about the life of David. And this kind of answers the question, what do we do with those that are unjust or bad leadership or horrible dictator leadership where they're mean, they're cruel? What do we do with them? And uh, right here, I'll show you this. Uh, David, as I said, was called a man after God's heart. He is placed under the authority of Saul after God had regretted setting up Saul as king. So after Saul's been rejected, notice, where is is David placed? David is placed under, everybody say under, under the leadership of Saul. Why would God do that? Was this a mistake? Did, did, did somebody just miss something here? Like what? why would God, who is a loving father, a good, kind, gracious God, put David underneath the leadership of Saul? Again, I want you to remember reward, 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 reward. God's not setting David up for disaster. God's setting him up for reward. And again, this is where we have to get a brand new thought because the world teaches us that if there are bad leadership out there, if there's bad people out there, Do away with them. God looks at it as the opposite. He said, those that honor me, and again, honoring him is honoring those that he puts in positions of authority. When you honor him and the way that he sets it up, guess what? He will honor you. This is, again, this is, you have to understand this from a different perspective. You can't understand this with your Canadian mindset or your American mindset or your Western mindset or wherever you're watching from that mindset. It is no natural mindset that comprehends with what God's saying. This is a totally different way of thinking. So we've got to adopt and we got to exchange our thinking for his thinking and take it on. David, this wasn't a mistake that God had put David underneath. It was in fact his plan. Saul treated David with kindness and favor as long as David was serving his purposes. But once David was perceived as a threat to Saul's security, Saul became violent with jealousy and sought to destroy David. Now, listen to this. For 14 years, David lived in caves He lived in wildernesses and he lived in foreign lands. From ages 16 to 30, David lost all that he loved and enjoyed from his childhood because his life was in danger. (laughs) His childhood, his enjoyments, his comforts were stripped completely away. Why? Because of the leader that God has placed him under. Yet... David still honored and submitted himself to the king. and I'm going to give you a couple examples of this. Number one, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. this this is so powerful and I, I believe this if I believe you're getting it right where you're sitting because this will change the way you live, this will change the way that you look at things, this will change the way you look at people because again, it's not the people that we're honoring, it's the position. It's the position. I've had many conversations with people that have a hard time with our prime minister. Hey, you know what? Yeah, I don't always agree with what, what, he, what he goes and what he says. But you know what? I am not going to dishonor the position because I don't like the man that's in office. What am I doing? I'm going to honor that position. And in honoring that position, God will honor me. And this God not only goes for government, this goes for teachers, for bosses, for church authority, for family relationships. It goes all the way through. But if you can just see, rather than just seeing the, the, the inequality or the, the, the mistakes of people and start looking at the position that God places, it changes everything. And this, again, is attached to your reward. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 24. Look at 1 through 7. Oh, sorry, I'm a few, a little bit behind. I get a little excited about this simply because this has been been life-changing for me just to hear. Verse 1, it says, After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes, some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. And I'll let you figure that out what that is. (laughs) But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Look at verse four. David's men, look what they said to them. Now's your opportunity, whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But when David's conscience, sorry, but then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Man, what is David doing here? He's not only restrained his men, but just in his own self, even after Saul is causing so much heartache, so many problems, so just frustration in the life. Like, literally, David could have brought this to today's court and he could have won. David? Did David do anything wrong to deserve any of this treatment? Not at all. David, in fact, served the king. He did everything the king asked. Saul was chasing after him, just Out of an evil spirit, he was so angry, he was threatened by David. He was jealous of David, so he went after him to kill him. Talk about mistreatment, right? And then actually we see, look at verse 10 here for a second. All of a sudden, you know, David didn't kill Saul. But as soon as, you know, Saul's men left and they were at a safe distance, David in verse 10 says, some of my men told me to kill you as he holds up that piece of that cloth, right? But I spared you for I said, I will never harm the king he is the Lord's anointed one. Now, wait a minute. Didn't, isn't David the one that God is going to be put in as king next? Didn't, didn't God reject Saul? Yes, to both of those. But still, in fact, I want you to see the honor principle in place here. Now, it was nev- if there was ever a time for vengeance, David trusted God. This was a great opportunity for David to take vengeance because it belonged to him. He was in the right to actually go ahead and kill Saul. No problem. But yet, David trusted God and continued to honor Saul. And so as soon as David stood up, he said, look, I could have killed you. I could have done all this. And then you see Saul's response. David, you are more righteous than I am. You're a better person than I am. And what happened? is Saul left for a season. Now, do you think that, stopped, that Saul stopped going after David? Sadly, no. If you got your Bibles, this is chapter 24. Look two chapters over to chapter 26 it happens again. Now, can you just imagine the, the heart, the anguish, the, the the depression that they would try to come on him? David's running for his life during this time. And all of a sudden he shows, I could have killed you, Saul, but I didn't. I restrained my men from even killing you. I held them back. I, I did it. And I did it for you. I held on to them. And all of a the sudden, they hear, look at this, chapter 26, verse 1. Now, some men from Ziph came to Saul at Gibeah to tell him David is hiding on the hill of Hekelah, which overlooks Jeshimon. I'm sorry, I probably butchered that. So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's elite troops and went to hunt him down in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul camped along the road beside the hill of Hakilah near Jeshimon, where David was hiding. And when David learned that Saul had come after him into the wilderness, he sent out spies to verify the report of Saul's arrival. I want you just to think, David. Just what's going on inside of this man again? I've been running. I've been running, and not only that, but I got men that are atta- that are you know connected to me, and I, I could have killed him that one time and ended you know all the f- the frustration, the you know the nervousness, the anxiety, all that stuff. I could have just ended it by just killing Saul. My men would have been happy. Their families would have been happy. I could have been free. I could have established myself as king. I, I you know God had all this orchestrated. God called me to be the next king. Yet He didn't do it. Now He thought that He. was set free only to hear that Saul's back at him again. Are you kidding me? Now, is there ever an opportunity for now David to actually take one over on Saul? Now'd be the time, don't you think? Second time again, he comes over, but let's finish the story. Look at verse five. It says, David slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around. Saul and Abner son of Ner, the commander of his army were sleeping inside a ring formed by the slumbering warriors. Who will volunteer to go in there with me? David asked. Uh, Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zeru, Joab's brother. I'll go with you, Abishai replied. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. Now look at this, verse 8. "'God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time,' Abishai whispered to David. "'Let me pin him to the ground "'with one thrust of the spear. "'I won't need to strike twice.' Now I want you to see this. I'm just thinking from Abishai's perspective. David, now's your chance. You know what? You don't even have. You don't even have to kill him, right? I'll be the one that does it. You, you don't have to touch him. You don't have to hurt him. I know you don't want to hurt God's anointed. I, I get that. I know that. So I'll do it. I'll kill this wicked man so we can just end all of this. So we can stop hiding. Stop living in these foreign lands. Stop living in the de- in the deserts in these caves. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. David, finish it once and for all. All the men will be pumped to hear that Saul's dead David come on can you see all the pressure that's coming now up in David again especially now that he was just fleet from Saul and could have killed him the first time but I want you to notice uh, David's response as he cast off those words that Abishai said no 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 verse 8 or verse 9 no David said don't kill him For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. But take his spear and that jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. Again, what do we see here? David is honoring the authority. He is still submitted to the king. Do you see the heart in this? And David is called a man after God's heart. Why? It's not just because he could play the harp real good and sing really nice songs, you know, in the book of Psalms that we read. He's a man after God's heart because he knew authority. He understood authority and he submitted to those that were above him. And what did that do? He's setting himself up for an amazing opportunity, amazing reward coming his way. Now, there's something interesting that, you know, I want you to look at verse 12 here for a sec. 1 Samuel 26 and verse 12. It says that near the end of it, the Lord had put Saul's men into deep sleep. (laughs) The Lord put them into a deep sleep that they wouldn't hear David, wouldn't notice David at all. Wouldn't wake up from stepping on a stick or something, nothing. Why did God do that? I believe this. He did it to test David's heart to see if he would remain a man after God's heart or become like Saul and take matters into his own hand would he dishonor God by dishonoring the anointed one of God this was david's life defining moment right here and because david passed this honor test i want you to see what god said about him i'm going to close with this we're going to get into a lot more of this but i don't i could go on and on but i need to i need to end it here Psalm chapter 89, I want you to see again, again, thinking reward, reward, reward. David passed the honor test. Was King Saul, was he a good leader? Would you, would you say by definition, would he be a, a leader that you would want to submit under? Naturally, no. Was, was Saul a good leader in any kind of way? Absolutely not. He was a tyrant. He's coming after to kill this man who's done nothing but good. Yet David continued to submit himself not because of who King Saul was, but because of the position he held. And this is what we as a king, you know, we are in this kingdom. We've got to understand God's authority. It's not just about a man or a woman somewhere. It's about the position that they hold. And if we would honor ourselves, it would come. Now, I want you to read this in Psalm uh, chapter 89. It says this in verse 20. I have found David my servant. I have anointed him with my holy oil. I will steady him with my hand. With my powerful arm, I will make him strong. His enemies will not defeat him, nor will the wicked overpower him. I will beat down. Everybody say, beat down. those are powerful words. I will beat down his adversaries before him and destroy those who hate him. My faithfulness and unfailing love will be with him. And by my authority, he will grow in power. Look at verse 35. I have sworn an oath to David and my holiness. In my holiness, I cannot lie. His dynasty will go on forever. His kingdom will endure as the sun. It will be as eternal as the moon, my faithful witness in the sky. David saw beyond the cruelness of Saul and saw authority upon him. David lived in the honor principle. If he honored the one God set over him, he would be honoring God himself. And if he honored God, then God would honor him. This is the honor principle. Now, I want to encourage you, I'm I'm finishing up for today, but I want to encourage you, this is who we are. We are people of honor. And I want to encourage you throughout this week, go over some of these verses that we've read. See the example of David. And I want you because God is desiring for you. He's setting you up for reward. Maybe there's some bosses that you're dealing with. Maybe there's some, you know, just some attitude things that are going on the inside with some of our government, those that are appointed governments in, in our country. God is desiring you to get a full reward. Don't miss it by choosing to dishonor those that God has put in place, the positions that he's put in place. It's not worth it. Your reward is so much bigger than than what these men and women could ever do for you. So don't limit yourself. Don't limit God. Continue to be people of honor because honor is God's way. We love you so much. Thank you for joining and being part with us. Again, We, if you have any questions, if you want to reach out to us, if you got a praise report, if you got a prayer request, please make sure you let us know. Impactlife.ca You can find a lot of information on there. We'd love to connect with you any way that we possibly can. And we want to do this journey with you because we know that God loves you. We love you. And we're here to impact generations for Jesus. Have a great day. Great rest of your day and we'll talk to you soon.